Okay, everyone, we are here. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about something that I think we can all identify with. And you know what that is? Sometimes we think we know better. Is that you? Sometimes we know better. Better than who you say. How about better than God? And when we think we know better, you know what we do? We seize control. Oh, yeah, we want control. We want to control the events of our lives, maybe even the events of our world. There's a word that's ascribed to some people, control freak. <laughs> know anybody like that? Control freak. They got to control everything. We love to have control. And you know what? Many times we hate to give it over. Even in the spiritual realm, life is about control. We're in a series entitled Masterpiece. God's making a masterpiece out of his people. The object in the hands of the craftsmen, of the artist, is to make that masterpiece. In order for that to happen, the artist must be in control. So let's take a look at this spiritually and see how this works, okay? Because God, the artist, needs to be in control, obviously, of our lives as well. So we have this battle that rages on, don't we? We've got a battle that we're in, kind of two battles. There's a battle inside of us, and there's a battle around us. The battle around us is between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light and the battles for the souls of men. And we have a battle inside of us as well, the divine nature, the sin nature. They're battling for control also. When you think about the word control, other words would be to dominate, to rule over, to govern, to be in the driver's seat, right? You've heard this one, to wear the pants, right? Who wears the pants in that family? <laughs> that means who's in control. A man once told a story that happened to him, whether it was real or a dream. We don't know, and it doesn't matter. And here it is. Sometime in the early spring, he said, I was going out my door, when around the corner came a blast of east wind, defiant and pitiless, fierce and withering, sending a cloud of dust before it. I was just taking the latchkey from the door, as I said half impatiently, I wish the wind would, and I was going to say, change. But the word was checked, and the sentence was never finished. As I went on my way, the incident became a parable to me. There came an angel holding out a key, and he said, My master sends you his love and bids me give you this. What is it? I asked, wondering. The key of the wind, he said, and then he disappeared. Now, indeed, should I be happy? I hurried away up into the heights from where the winds came, and I stood among the caves. I will have done with the east wind at any rate, and that shall plague us no more. And calling in that friendless wind, I closed the door and heard the echoes ringing in the hollow places. I turned the key triumphantly, and there I said, Now, 
we have done with that. What shall I choose in its place? In other words, he got rid of the east wind. What shall I choose in its place? I asked myself, looking around. The south wind is pleasant. I thought of the lambs and the young life on every hand, and the flowers that had begun to deck the hedgerows. But as I set the key within the door, it began to burn my hand. What am I doing? Who knows what mischief I may bring about? How do I know what the fields want? Ten thousand things of ill may come of this foolish wish of mine. Bewildered and ashamed, I look up and pray that the Lord would send his angel yet again to take the key from me. I promised I would never want to have it anymore. But the Lord himself stood by me. He reached his hand to take the key. And as I laid it down, I saw that it rested against the sacred wounds. It hurt me indeed that I could ever have murmured against anything wrought by him who bears such sacred tokens of his love. And then he took the key and hung it on his belt. Do you keep the key of the winds, I asked. I do, my child, he answered graciously. And lo, I looked again, and there hung all the keys of all my life. And I looked in amazement and asked, he asked, Do you know, my child, that my kingdom rules over all? Over all, my Lord? Then it's not safe for me to murmur at anything, is it? And then did he lay his hand upon me tenderly. My child, he said, your only safety is in everything to love and trust me and praise. That was the story. Sometimes we think no, we know better, and we seek to change what we could. But how do I know what trouble I would bring if I took rulership from Jesus Christ? So what I want to do today is take us through the Psalms and see just how God truly is the sovereign ruler over all. And maybe there's aspects of our lives that we need to give up the control Give it back to God, because after all, he is the master craftsman, and he's the one that's making the masterpiece, and we're the clay, and we have to let him do his work. We have to let him have his way. So we begin by realizing, yes, God is ruler over all. In Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, God has all authority. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Take that in for a minute. Though his throne is in heaven, his dominion extends over all the earth. When the Bible says that God rules, it means he he governs. He has the power. He has the dominion. You know, when Pilate said to Jesus that he had the power to set him free or crucify him, Jesus said, you have no power over me except what my Father in heaven gives to you. Jesus understood where the power was, and we would do well to learn that lesson. Secondly, God does have complete confidence. He knows who he is. In Psalm 115, verse 2, The psalmist wrote, 
Why should the nation say, Where now is their God? Hmm. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. In other words, what pleases Him. God does what pleases Him. And another way to say that, God does what's according to His purpose. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And He operates according to that. See, it's very common for people who don't know God to question His love. They even question His existence when they see His people experience adverse circumstances. I wonder if that's a way out for them. They see God's people going through trials and tribulations. They see God's people hurting. They see God's people alone. They see God's people suffering. And then they question God's love. Or they question God's existence at all. But you know what? God is not moved by the antics of men. He's not. He has confidence within himself and who he is. That man's mockings don't move God. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, they mocked him. Come on down. Hey, if you're God, come on down. Prove yourself. Jesus wasn't moved. He had nothing to prove. God has nothing to prove. He already did. He sent his son. That those that believe in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. You see? God cannot be moved by by the mockery or the antics of people. A question that was asked in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 12. Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you? Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? I think we've all asked that question. Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? Here's the way the Bible in basic English says it. Why does the evildoer do well? Why are the workers of deceit living in comfort? Hmm. Then the contemporary English version says, Why is life easy for sinners? Why are they successful? <laughs> and doesn't it? Yeah. Sometimes it looks like that. But as good and easy as life appears for the wicked, God has complete confidence in himself and in his plan. He knows the outcome. God knows the outcome, so he's not worried about the present. We look at this world right now, and we look at the present, and we're like, woo, wow. We get worried about the present. Inflation, economy, jobs, viruses, wars and rumors of wars. And it's all in the present. And we get worried. God is not moved. You know why? Because he knows the outcome. And the outcome is what? His plan and his purpose. And that's why we do well to get with God's plan and to get with God's purpose. Here is something we must always remember. The Lord is supreme. Oh, yeah. Psalm 47, verse 2. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. 
over all the earth. Let's not forget that. He's a great king over all. The Lord of all the earth has shaped the destiny of his people. Hmm. The king over ancient Israel had two main offices. Number one, to command an army. And that provided defense and protection for the nation. And then number two was to wage war when the need arose. So that's all part of of commanding the army. But secondly, his other office was to rule and judge. Rulership was to preserve order. To judge was to bring justice. So you think about the the role of the king. Protection, defense, extermination of the enemies, and justice and order. That's it. That's the rule of the king. That's the rule of the role of the government. Not to establish chaos, but to bring order and to preserve peace. One time two mothers came to Solomon, one accusing the other of stealing the baby. You might remember that story. One mother said, she stole my... See, two women had babies and one baby died. So the mother of the the baby that died stole the other baby. And they went to Solomon and said, she stole my baby. He said, no, this is my baby. So Solomon had to make a decision. Who's the mom of the real, who's the real mom of the living baby? And Solomon, he, well, he exhibited God's, God's wisdom. He said, bring me a sword. He said, I'll cut the baby in half and I'll give half to each mom. And one of the moms said, no, no, no. Let the other one have the baby. Keep him alive. Solomon said, ha ha. That's the real mother. The real mother would not let her baby die. The false mother, yeah, cut him in half. That's okay. If I can't have it, she can't have it. See, as king, God judges the affairs of men over the whole earth. Like Solomon judged the affairs of Israel, God judges the whole earth. And as Psalm 115 says, he does what pleases him. And it's not please him in the sense of him being some kind of you know, getting kicks out of how he rules the earth. No. God's pleasure is his purpose. And God's purpose is glory. That's his purpose. Glory. And by the way, this is something that's really important to remember. God never operates outside of his attributes. And what are some of his attributes? Love. So he doesn't operate outside of his love. Justice. He doesn't operate outside of his justice. Holiness. Righteousness. He does not operate outside of those. Okay. He's long-suffering and patient. Right? He doesn't operate outside of those virtues, those qualities. That's why Peter could say, listen, the Lord, the Lord is not slow concerning his promises, as some consider slowness, but he's patient toward those, waiting for people to come to repentance. We all pray, oh God, Lord, come now, come now. We don't like the way the world is going. Come now. We've prayed that, I prayed that. Come now, Lord. But he's patient, waiting for more people 
to repent. Hmm. He's also unmovable. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, the question, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. So the kings of the earth conspire against God. But verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He laughs. Why? They're no match for him. Who is there that is a match for God? Dumb. None. None. It doesn't matter what men may do. God is still God. He is sovereign. He is supreme. And he even has a sense of humor. He laughs at the plans of men. That's what he does. And you know, when Jesus comes back for the second coming, oh yeah, when they get ready for the battle of Armageddon and all the nations of the world band together, Jesus, with the word of his mouth, takes them all out. With the word of his mouth. Oh, they've got all their weapons. He's got the word of his mouth. He takes them out. Who can stand against the Lord? Nobody. Only ignorance and pride can stand against the Lord. Where there's humility, you know your place. Where there's humility, I mean, where there's ignorance and pride, you seek control. You think you know better as we started. Those that think they know better are those that don't know at all. You know what God does with his authority and his sovereignty? He tests our hearts. That's what he does. Our hearts are like gold. Oh, yeah. And they have to be tested. Life is a test of our heart. In Psalm 11, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. He's watching us. He inspects us with close scrutiny. He's trying to show us that faith works. Abide in faith. Apply faith. These testings are for his approval. One writer said, He tries their reins, he searches into their very hearts and into the inmost recesses of them and takes cognizance of their thoughts, intentions, and designs and confounds and disappoints them so that they cannot perform their enterprises. Now, that's a poetic way of saying that God is in control. And when people think they have a better idea, God moves. God has, God always has the better idea. He searches the righteous and the unrighteous with squinting eyes, as if looking closely into something. Right? You ever look into something closely and you kind of squint your eyes to really see? Not that God needs to do that because he's all seeing. But it gives us a sense of the intensity that God looks into our affairs. He's very concerned. So we learn that God is in control. Right? That's the point of today's message. 
We are not in control, and we do not know better. God is in control, and God knows better. If you want to become God's masterpiece, then let the craftsman have his way. You're the clay on the potter's wheel. And the potter knows what he wants to make out of that clay and how he wants to shape it and mold it and how he wants to decorate it and the use that he has in mind for it. And yes, to be durable, it's got to go into the furnace to develop strength so it can be of service. We have to understand our relationship with God. So God has, number one, all authority. He has complete confidence, number two, in himself. He can't be moved by us, by the mockers and the scorners. They don't get under his skin. Three, he's supreme. There's no match. Fourthly, he's unmovable. And fifthly, he tests the hearts of men. He tests people's hearts. Why? Because that's the real you and the real me, the heart. The heart is, the real you is not what you see when you look in the mirror. The real you is what's inside. What's inside that drives the body. The heart drives the body. That's the real you. So, if I really believe that this is all true, why would I try to take the key of the wind from him? Why would I try to control the wind? Why would I try to control anything if God is greater and wiser and powerful and sovereign? Why would I try to do that? I must give him rulership. This is a message that Christians don't hear and they need to hear. I must give him rulership over, here it comes, over my time. Time is important. It's my lifespan. I must give him rulership over that. I must give him rulership over my talent, my abilities that make me useful. We all have them. We all have an ability that makes us useful to talent. I must give him authority over that, power over that. Thirdly, I must give him authority or rulership over my treasure, over what I possess, because everything I have comes through God. Did you know that? Everything you have comes through God. I must give God rulership over my whole life. Why? Because I want to be his masterpiece. Now, if you don't, hey, have a party. I'll do what you want. But if you want to be God's masterpiece, and God can show off his handiwork to the angels and what he can do in a human soul, oh, then these are the things that we need to do. And when it's all said and done, when we get to eternity, we'll look back and say, I'm glad I let God have his way. I'm so glad. And look at what he did with my life. Look at what he did. Be incredible. I think we'll all be shocked. (laughs) We'll all be shocked at what God can do in a life that's yielded to him. 
That life that's not yielded, that life's going to struggle. Oh yeah, it's going to struggle. But the life that's yielded will be shaped and molded into Christ-likeness. So we're talking today about God working in your life. You know what we're going to see next time? Sometimes God works in secret. He works in secret. What does that mean? What does that mean that God works in secret? Well, that's tomorrow. That's our next broadcast. Hope you can join me. Listen, if you have a comment or a question that I can answer on the air, you can email me at newhoperadio7 at gmail.com. We'll take your questions. We'll share them on the air. We'll answer them on the air. Or if you have a comment you want to make, newhoperadio7 at gmail.com. You have some suggestions for topics? We'll do that too. Maybe there's something you want to learn about, you want to find out what God thinks about it, let us know. And we'll bring that to the airwaves as well. And don't forget, you can join the Hope Club, newhoperadio.live. Okay, that's the website. New Hope Radio has its own website, newhoperadio.live. Click on the little menu bar there, and it'll say, Join the Hope Club and tell you all about it. You can, for $3 a week, you help keep us on the air, and we'll send you out a devotional Monday through Friday, an audio file, which will really help you if you're a morning person, get you started off on the right foot in the morning, maybe the last thing at night, whatever you like. But it's a great way to stay connected with God. Don't forget New Hope Radio Podcast as well. Just go to the Hope Club Podcast. And you can catch all these messages at the Hope Club Podcast. Great way to spend some drive time, driving to work in the morning, driving home, maybe running errands, maybe some folks listen at lunch, whatever works for you. But it's a 28-minute program. I'll tell you what. Spend a little more time with God every day. You'll be his masterpiece. Oh, yeah. You certainly will. And that's what we're all striving for, isn't it? We all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the master. That's what it means to be God's masterpiece. Thank you for coming along. Pray for our program. Support us when you can by joining the Hope Club, $3 a week. And I'll see you next time as we see God works in secret right here on New Hope Radio.